beaming yellow 24 karat gold heavy intricate jeweled earrings layers upon layers of gold necklaces all synonymous with the south asian culture right but these gold pieces hold stories and history that have been long forgotten my name is anisha palmer i'm a multidisciplinary artist and a jewelry designer I create empowering statement adornments inspired by my family's migrant journey that spans three continents. With the support from the Arts Council, I have spoken to a range of people within the South Asian diaspora about their gold jewellery, what it means to them, how these pieces have travelled through migrant journeys and the memories these pieces hold. Well, you know me, so I don't have to introduce myself to you, which is which is nice. In today's episode, I'll be talking to the lovely Mira. I actually made and designed jewellery for Mira's wedding for her Mendy night before her big day, which was such a lovely process to do with her. When I put my call out, out on my Instagram, she got in touch saying she'd love to be part of the project and it was such a joy to interview her. You'll hear her talking about her wedding jewellery where she wears her mum's gold jewellery set for her actual wedding. And in today's podcast, we've got some extra special guests that you'll hear coming in and out of the interviews. It's actually Mira's wedding photo that's in the main cover image of this podcast. And I thought it would be perfect as it really encapsulate what we think about when we think gold jewellery pieces within the South Asian diaspora. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about you. I've always been... um interested in the Indian heritage. Um, I've been born and brought up in the UK, but I feel like I'm way more connected to India than I am here to the UK. And I think that's only because my mum has kept that inheritance kind of within her. Like she, she's, she's, she's the type of mum that's always kind of worn a sari. She's kept all her wedding saris, which is amazing in a really pristine condition. And I think seeing that and growing up around that led me to then take the route of going into fashion. Um, just because you're surrounded by color, you're surrounded by texture all the time. And it kind of inspired my path to just, I was just always in awe of, awe of fashion. I was always in awe of um, handcrafts of India and um, like the embroideries and you know, the different types of kind of, yeah, textiles, I guess. Mira runs a thin line an online platform that stocks conscious fashion brands from India. The clothing and the accessories that are made and sold on her platform support heritage crafts and livelihoods of local artisans in India known as Gariagos, a word I use when talking about the jewellers that make the pieces throughout this podcast. Um, and that kind of led me to that through that path. And as time's gone on, I've just kind of realised the importance of holding on to these for your roots because like I feel like we're like the last generation that's going to ever know what it's like to be connected I feel like we're the, we're the ones that are either going to be able to hand that down and pass that forward or we're going to be the ones to you know if, if we haven't been lucky enough to be as connected um or we've not grown up with our grandparents or you know those that were involved heavily back in India then we won't be able to pass that on so it's kind of I think that's why I kind of feel really strongly about it and it's led me down this path of yeah fashion and now um the thin line which I heavily which is which is basically trying to bring the handcrafts of India to light 
also just the sustainable practices. I mean, I'm not sure about the gold within within jewelry, but I know for sure within um, textiles there is like the sustainability um, around you know around it. And then I guess with jewelry, it's more ethics. It's about keeping the crafts of those jewelry designers and those um, karigars around India kind of going and the intricacies of their work that they do in the gold. And you're so right. I think like importance of these gold pieces is not losing the traditional handicraft you know because like the way the pieces were made back then is definitely not how they made how they're made now and that's why maybe historically these pieces I, I just feel like this you can never replicate them because it will never be made with the same tools or with the same carrier or with you know that in mind so that's why I think some of these handed down pieces are so important to preserve so tell me a bit about your family. Where did their journey start and how did they come to the UK? Like a lot of, um, I guess, um, Gujarati families especially, um, they, my grandparents migrated from India to East Africa. Um, I can't tell you the exact date, <laughs> but it was, it was around the same time as, I guess, you know, all other families were there. Um, and they migrated for better opportunity, really. Yeah. Um, uh, it was the only reason it was just to earn more um, to earn a living and to get out of the villages where obviously a lot of the work was heavily based around farming and you know it's hard to find to make a living um so both my mum's um parents and my dad's parents moved to east africa and my dad grew up in kenya my mum grew up in tanzania okay. and um yeah they kind of found their opportunities there and actually i think for them Kenya and Tanzania and East Africa really holds a really special place in their heart. I think a lot of the bonds that they made with the people that they are close to now is because they kind of faced all those challenges in East Africa together mm-hmm. and they still hold those bonds, which is so great to see. And I, I know my grandma, she really speaks really fondly about her memory. She still really, really remembers those times because yeah. it was probably the most blissful times for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they moved here, I guess, let me say about the 70s I want to yeah. say yeah um obviously they had troubles in East Africa with Idi Amin and then came here to England for better opportunities I thought it'd be really important to point out by no means am I a historian but I wanted to share the historical context behind the conversations we're having and shed a light on this very important history that sometimes is forgotten Many people don't know about the huge migrations of South Asians to East Africa in the 1950s after partition. It's a key part of British Asian history and one that has formed a huge part of this research. Both Uganda and India had been part of the British Empire, which is why South Asians were brought there as indentured labourers to work on the British railways across East Africa, hence establishing a migrant route for many South Asians post-independence. Uganda gained independence from the British in 1962 and India a little earlier in 1947. But the UK still had a huge part to play in the story and arguably should have done more to prevent families from being torn apart when Idi Amin exiled the Asians from Uganda. To give you a bit of context, Idi Amin was a military officer and became president of Uganda in 1971 after overthrowing the elected government. In 1972, he expelled all the South Asian citizens out of Uganda with the aim to boost the native Ugandan economy. I think it's important to point out, as Uganda was a British colony, 
Many South Asians who were born there were born with British passports. So they had rights to come to the UK when they were exiled. Many didn't believe Armin's threats to be real and decided to stay. Those who stayed rapidly became refugees and had to flee to any country that would take them being separated from their loved ones and leaving everything they had built, including jewellery, behind. He believed the South Asian population had taken over too many jobs and were robbing Ugandans of what was rightfully theirs. It is my understanding that this created a ripple effect across East Africa, causing a huge amount of South Asians to flee to the UK before they were forced out. Armin declared that he had defeated the British and added CBE to his title to stand for Conqueror of the British Empire. Mum's family were up north. Um, can't remember the place of the city, but um, it was a small town um, up north. And my my dad was in Leicester for a while. His family, my grandparents, settled in Leicester for for a while. So they've they've been here since that time. But they still, obviously, once once they could, um, I guess, afford to travel back to India, they did do that over the years, and they kept that going once they kind of built a living here. But yeah, I think East Africa is definitely a really influential aspect of the culture that we've got definitely and I, I think like that that aspect I mean I share that as well because mom was born in Uganda dad was born in Mombasa and I think the fondness that they have that for those places it's it's something so unique to them because it's almost like pure nostalgia when they talk about those stories and they light up and then like when they meet somebody like unexpectedly and they're like yeah I grew up there and then they find these connections I think it's I think it's really cute and really lovely to see how like that sparks in them. Yeah I think one thing I take away from what I've heard is that the bonds that they created there I don't think they've ever created bonds like that anywhere else in the world not even in India um it's just it's a sense of everybody going through the same thing but everybody really helping one another out everyone was there for each other so I think those kind of bonds are just incredible to be honest I just yeah we're we're really lucky to have heard them and we can only hope that we can kind of carry that forward as well language as well I mean how many words do we say that are Swahili I know and it's just funny because you go to I go to India I remember going to India saying things asking for things like Bakuri, Sani, whatever it was. Look at you, like, what are you asking for? (laughs) And I was like, is this not Gujarati? And, you know, they'd say, no, we've never heard of that before. And when you go to your grandparents, and I said, no, like, what does, why do they not understand what I'm saying? And she says, oh, because they're Swahili words. Yeah, so they've had to do that. Then they've had to kind of adapt to learning English and picking up English and, there's something really special in that like Gujarati East African British kind of mix like you say like we say words of Swahili and we don't even realize we're saying it but then you hear like your parents speaking fluent Swahili and my parents do that when they don't want us to know what they're saying I'm just like that is crazy like our parents just speak fluent Swahili it's weird it's really weird is there a particular gold jewelry piece that you cherish and do you have it there (laughs) Yeah, so there are a number of them. I've got a, a few here, um, but I can kind of just introduce you to a few others that I don't have with me here. They're all, of course, they're all my mum's, and I've got a few that my bar's given to me from my dad's side as well. So a few of them are things that came from Africa, and now they wouldn't be seen as ethical, but back then they were seen as something that held value, which was 
turtle shell jewelry, um, ivory jewelry. Yeah, yeah same. I've got the same in my um, well. Yeah, and yeah. I think even though we, I don't know where the ethical, you know, how ethical they've been sourced yeah. more. Yeah. But um, I have, I'm not going to lie, I have worn them a few times just because, you know, they hold, a, they hold a special part. Also, my granddad ensured that a, a long time before, he only passed away two years ago, my mum's dad, but a long time before that, he kind of ensured that he passed on um, gold for me, just, you know, because for investment um, huh. purposes, so it was just a chain, but really heavy, but it was, it just means that they see that there's value in this and says you know never sell your gold or whatever is because it's that's all you're gonna if you don't have anything that's what you're gonna have the security um, yeah even if you're not gonna wear it it's just there so you know you've got it um which is quite superficial in some ways but in other ways I guess it just it's security for them like it's just yeah. them passing down a form of security and then um the pieces that I have here are my mom's wedding jewelry I'll show them to you. So I've got a necklace, I've got two bangles, gold bangles, and I've got the hand bracelet. Uh, we call them bachis, but I'm not sure what the, is it ring bracelets? A hand chain. Hand I, chain. I yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's like, yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah. we, yeah. Yeah. Um, they hold a special part in place in my heart because I decided once I'd seen them, a long time ago that if I'd got if I got married then I would wear them yeah. and I took them with me to India when I went for my wedding shopping and I got them kind of cleaned up a little bit and polished a little bit I'll show you this one it's a jammed it's a half jammed half moon oh yeah oh wow it's stunning but yeah it's a long this one's a long kind of chain so I, I layered it with the I wore a choker, which was an artificial piece of jewellery, and um, but I laid wow, it. Wow, it's stunning. It's been made with a three-chain, um, three-layered chain, three chain um, that kind of comes down long, uh, like down up to, I guess, the chest. And um, and then it's got this half-moon, crescent-moon kind of shape to it, like a janbadi, that's what it's called, janbadi. And then it's got um, a smaller pendant within that Jan Valley as well with a small stone, but I think it's a semi-precious kind of pinkish stone. I didn't see that in it. Oh, right. yeah, right in the center. Yeah. On drop, yeah. And then it's, it's quite, it's really geometric actually now that I'm looking at it because it's got triangle, it's got squares, it's got the, it's got the kind of half moon. And um, these are called, I mean, I don't know if they're called Elaichi, but they do call these you know these little little yeah like round. something the detailing i don't i've not I'd, i've i've seen that style like like quite a lot but i don't know the name of it of how the links for all the chains of how they're i don't know what the name's called so here we're talking about the shape of the bead on her necklace and mira uses the term elaichi elaichi means cardamom so the shape of the bead on the chain, the three-layered chain that she's wore for her wedding is called Elaichi. Ma, Aneka Sukeva. And she calls in someone really special to verify this with her. Yeah, Elaichi Mara is what she calls yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my boss given me an Elaichi Mara as well. 
yeah. um, which is same similar to this, but it's much bigger, um, I guess, bigger bits. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know your bar was there. We should have got her involved. Yeah, you can say hi to her. Bye. And jewelry design. Sorry, Anisha, I'll just explain what the call is about. And jewelry design. Anisha, I'm going to tell you that 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 I'm going to tell so it means that you have a special camera and you have an interview. Yes, that's it. Yeah. I love that Mira's bar was able to be part of this. I didn't actually know she was there. So just to have her appear and explain to us what Elaichi means or Elaichi Mara, which is cardamom necklace. So the cardamom shaped beads that make up a chain or a necklace. She explains that to us. Mira takes the time to explain to her grandma the research that I'm doing. She says, you know how you've given me these pieces, Ba, and how mum's given me this necklace that I wore for my wedding? Anisha is researching and documenting the history. And it's so lovely to hear her explain that in Gujarati to her own grandma, something that I wish maybe I had the chance to do myself. My Gujarati is awful. No, you were good. Your Gujarati is so good, like in comparison. <laughs> I would have never been able to explain it in Gujarati. <laughs> never. It's, it's obviously, obviously, because I've grown up with her that I've learned. Otherwise, all my other cousins are, you know, they do ask for translations. They're like, how do I say this? Coincidentally, this morning, I walk into my living room and my mum's wedding album's out. So I found it. So I've got her, her in all the jewellery as well. Who, so did her parents give her this set? Yeah, so I asked her actually just before this um, where she got hold of it from. And so because they were obviously here in the UK and couldn't really travel to India, like we go jewellery shopping or, you know, wedding shopping, they couldn't really manage to do that back then. But yeah, you can come. Yeah, my mum's here now. Um, but what they did, what she did is her Masi um, in India, her auntie, she kind of got it, sourced it, got it made and sent it over for her. So yeah, it's all been made in India and it's all kind did, of- Did your mum say what she, the kind of, hi auntie? After the joy of meeting Mira's bar, it was so lovely to meet her mum who joined us too. You hear me calling her auntie. part today. We are definitely not related, but out of respect, we call all our friends, mums and dads, auntie and uncle. Oh, thank you for invite as well. <laughs> I, was, I was just asking Mira, so you know your beautiful wedding set? Did you did you have an idea in mind of the design you wanted? No. No, not at all. That's my Masi did for me. She was she was in India. So she got it made for you especially and then sent it through. But even she didn't give any design or anything. The jewelry just did it by themselves. Ah, okay. But did you know you wanted it long or anything? You did you didn't give any, any... That time there wasn't any choice. <laughs> Yeah. Whatever they do, we have to expect. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Everybody likes it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the earring is very nice. So. I don't have the earrings. I think st- I didn't take that. Oh, this one. This, no, this was the bachi. Bachi and earrings as well. So the bachi, it turns into earrings. 
Oh, wow. Like, yeah. So you take off the chains. Yeah, you take off these chains and then um, I don't have the, 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 there's the, like a small stud that goes into here. Oh, wow. And then it becomes earrings. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that, it was like a double function. <laughs> yeah, you can transform it into an yeah. earring. That's yeah. so clever. Um, so I've, I've obviously I taken I took a couple of these off for my wedding just because I wanted to wear some rings. But yeah, there's five. There's five otherwise. So what pieces are in the set? Necklace, bangles, and the pacha. This yeah. was really this, this, these were the bangles. Oh, wow, they're stunning. Yeah, I wore these as well. Uh, on in the middle, um, I wore one of these on each hand. How did it make you feel when you were wearing them on your wedding day, knowing that it's in one set? And it just makes you feel like you've bought something from your mom into your wedding. Yeah. Into your kind of on, on into your day. And it just makes you feel that you've got that connection and you know, you can you've got something that's been handed down to you. My channel. No, I didn't bring it. I had a one, you know, the channel chan chan yeah, chan, yeah. Like, yeah. So we can make a necklace. I have that same oh yeah. yeah. So that's again a double function. So double it could function. either be the uh, matapati mm. or it can be um, necklace. Yeah. I love that. I love that it's transformable and you can wear it in yeah. ways. And I think that's so clever. You don't really see that now in pieces. Here, Mira speaks about banji and matapati when talking about the adornments within her mother's wedding set. Banji is a hand chain um, in Gujarati and Matapati is a head chain adorned by a bride during her wedding, again in Gujarati. Even my older sister, she's got the same one, but with the stone one. Oh. She, she's not wearing, but she's just a necklace. Yeah. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Very beautiful, she's got that one as well. I think it's just the uniqueness of mm. what they got. Like I said, you, I don't know if you've been to any gold shops recently or to India to any gold shops, but there's just nothing that stands out as being like really unique and really intricate. It's yeah, I think that's the difference that kind of stands apart. Yeah, it, it's made in that that time in with those designs in mind. And at the time that was what was fashionable, but now it's become like more timeless, hasn't it? They're just timeless. That's it. They're just like even I've just looked and like I said, it's geometric. I love geometry. You like geometry. Yeah. Like it translates yeah. into your designs, right? You think, wow, that's what makes that piece actually contemporary. Yeah. Now they're just they're purely made contemporary, but they're never they're not made with those traditional kind of um, intricacies. We understand the value of gold, but we also understand we're never really going to be wearing a lot of these again. And I think if you if you're in the industry, like you know this we're not going to get pieces like this again <laughs> like never exactly um, the amount of detailing that's in this is incredible and I went when I went for my gold shopping in India and it's just not I looked at the things and they just they're just not the same the design's just completely different it's these are timeless like I think now it's obviously becoming a lot more trend driven yeah where you know one day something's in the next day it's if out not. Or costume jewelry. I feel like costume jewelry is like a big thing now, where it's got like, like I don't think brides invest in gold jewelry anymore. Really. No, don't exactly. And even if. 
When we spoke to Jayant from Pure Jewels, he said, though brides are turning more to costume jewelry for wedding sets, it's not a threat to his industry. He's really seen a change in the way we buy gold jewelry. It's now the woman coming in and buying pieces for herself as an empowering act, adorning herself, saving up and treating herself. And that is what has kept the industry alive. How have you seen habits of buying gold jewelry change over the years? Yeah, so you know when you've got uh, a situation where tra- when you when you look at the traditional values, oh, you you know when you get married, you have to be wearing gold on your wedding day. Mm. That's all changed now. You know, weddings are a lot more about fashion. It's a lot more about coordination. It's a lot more about a complete look. Bollywood has had a massive influence in that. So you've got these massive pieces, you know, on the neck. If you think about it pragmatically, you if you were to wear such a big piece on your wedding day, are you ever going to be able to wear it again? in the future. So this has really driven the whole uh, costume jewellery uh, industry, yeah. which is great. But what has happened to gold as a result? Does that mean that people are not buying gold jewellery anymore? Absolutely not. They are. Our fastest growing market is women buying jewellery for themselves. That by far is our fastest, fastest growing market. Self-purchase. If I was to look at our focus as a company over the next five years and how we're designing, we're now not designing for men to buy jewellery. We're now designing for women to buy jewellery for themselves. And the uh, the uh, symbolisms that, that jewellery has. So costume jewellery isn't a threat to uh, precious jewellery. It's complementary. It's the same customer buys both products. And Auntie, how did it make you feel seeing Mira in the pieces on her wedding day? Yeah, I'm also very proud to see take my jewelry too. Otherwise, I have to keep it for my, my daughter-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm... And at least it's your piece. You didn't have to melt it and make something new because Mira, Mira cherishes it. She loves these pieces. Yeah. Sometimes people, especially, I don't know, like people want something brand new for their wedding. Like, I don't want this set. It's dated. Make something. me something new. And she sees the value and she wanted to wear it on her wedding day, I it's think. Yeah, yeah, she sees the value in it more, not the value of gold, but the value of the memory and the memory that you wore it for your wedding. And I think that that is really lovely. All of us know that, you know, our mom or our baz have given us jewelry. And if if, if we ever need something's there, you know, we have that. Other um, cultures don't have that. No. That's why it's so special that we have that brown girls we have this you know there is our, our love and security from our family and that's why I think it's so important for the next generation to know this you know it's an heirloom for us yeah, exactly I think a lot of people um that I've been interviewing have said that you know they feel powerful when they're wearing them because the person who gave it to them is in that piece you know they're there lifting you kind of go into whatever situation you're going into so how how do you see this these pieces going forward in the future for me just keeping it alive so whether that is to give it to somebody who understands it or whether that's just to keep it with me until until it's until my time's up basically it has a special part so it's it's just something that you think you'll know when you when you will make that decision of you know yeah, I agree tell, tell me about the conversation you had or when you saw these pieces for the first time and you thought actually yeah I definitely want to wear these for my wedding when you start to actually understand think like the importance of these silk saris or whatever it is yeah you know, 
if I'm ever to get married, mom, I'd really like to keep this or whatever. And I just said to her, and then I think once I got engaged and started to make those decisions, um, that's when I kind of set in stone, like, yes, I want to wear your jewellery, mom. Um, I want to kind of go for that traditional look, but still like be myself, but still have embody like, those parts and yeah, like have kind yeah. of bring it all together and and yeah I think that's it like I just told her and she said yeah it's yours anyway yeah I kind of I was like oh I'm the first one so I'll take it <laughs> again the thing that keeps coming up is like the the you don't cho- choose the jewelry the jewelry chooses you there's so many things that could have happened with these pieces but the fact that they end up becoming for you that I find that really like interesting how you know your massy um, your mom's massy designed it or like got it sent it to her and how it's been coming to you it 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 carries through the lineage for a reason and it ends up with that person for a reason like I truly believe that you just hope that it falls into the hands of somebody that will see the same things as what you'd see in it I love how you thought about every tiny detail of your wedding as well I feel like I miss so much of like the tiny details but I think like it's really nice hearing how you thought of it like where you wanted your rings and how you wanted your outfit made I think it's so cool I it's just out of um loving the tradition of it all and that you're not gonna I mean hopefully you're not gonna do it again and that's the other thing it's just I just wanted to I wanted to be traditional and myself jewelry I guess played even more of an important role because that was the only thing that would bring everything together and you know make me look like a bride traditionally because everything usually is embroidered it's it's so nice to be able to hear my mum say like you know to talk about obviously how she felt when I wore it and that she obviously knows that it's really special and yeah is there anything else you'd like to add to the story? I mean, one question I didn't think about, like you just said, is the future. <laughs> that's just kind of, yeah, that's kind of sprung. And, you know, it's something that I will obviously think about. But like I said, I think as long as I'm around, I'll just cherish cherish them. And, you know, if I can ever wear them again, then, you know, I'm sure I'll find a reason. <laughs> and your dad's there. Like, I love how she, you could just ask her that question there and then. I think that's something to cherish. The, the older I'm getting, the older she's getting, the more I'm starting to think like these, every moment with them now is like just, they're gold. They're like, not they're more than gold. They're just, you know, they're just those moments that you've got to really just appreciate. Like I said, I think we're the last generation that have been fortunate enough to kind of be connected to those roots. Yeah. And so we've got to take as much information as we can from them. Yeah. I take videos of her cooking because I just want to know what she puts in or how she makes something you know so things like that yeah capture that history you know because those those videos are going to be like so special and you mentioned like the ivory the ivory and the tortoiseshell and I think like especially like um if your family came like you know had have an East African connection we all seem to have those pieces and I was looking into ivory bangles and my mum has my nanny's ivory bangles and apparently the symbolism in like in India is when a when a girl gets married it's good luck to for them to have ivory there's like a symbolism of a married woman it was it was the norm this tortoise and this ivory jewelry like back back in the day it was just like a given it does I mean there's so many symbolisms in in the things that you wear when you're getting married that you just there's so many questions 
but yeah like I've got that. why I always ask why and they're like oh no it's just something you do they do yeah one other thing that I do, do as well and it's not it's not necessarily jewelry related at all but the suitcase because suitcases also have a big symbolism in Indian weddings yeah but the suitcase that my mum bought with her I packed my stuff in there yeah. and took that with me and actually when I opened it Anisha the rice was still in there the boja stuff was all still in there mm. and obviously by then it, the rice had even molded so I was like mom obviously we need to take this out yeah. but it was still in that same condition as what she'd bought it in yeah properly I love that I, I love that and you'll never forget that memory of opening it and and seeing all of the rice and stuff from your mom from when your mom had it you'll never forget that you know but I said to um my husband as well I said we need to keep this suitcase safe and so I think I kept it here for now just so mum's got it but I said I'd like to keep that with me we might not ever use it because it was one of those samsonite those <laughs> well, it's a leather one like a leather like, like a red like a maroon leather yeah, yeah. It was so great speaking to Mira in this episode, especially having her ba and her mom come in and having a little chat with them to three generations within one podcast. And we're hearing their points of views on these gold jewelry pieces. So I think what I really learned was the fact that Mira's mom really didn't have a say in when the, her gold jewelry piece was put together. And really with the wedding, as it was for my mum as well, other people put together your wedding and really how the wedding was going to go. But with Mira, I know she was so meticulous with every single detail for her own wedding that all of it had symbolism and something special for her within every facet of it and that's really how things are changing hence the meaning of these gold jewelry pieces changing from security given to your daughter to real sentimental value and I think that really flows through every aspect of our weddings nowadays as it did in my own. A huge thank you to Mira, her ba, her mum for being so open and being part of the podcast today because it, it means the world as it does with all the conversations I'm having. It's just blessed that she kept these things because a lot of people don't. I think, like I said, these these things were meant, meant for you for a reason. Yeah. Kind of all, all kind of lines up for a reason. I really believe that. These handcrafted gold pieces take on the material form of a family's legacy and accumulate personal stories as they pass through the hands of their keepers. Keepers which they choose. Pass through the hands of artisans, then adorned by our ancestors and cherished by us today. Transporting us to places we've never been to and telling stories we've never heard, but the truth we know through the energy they exude. We now adorn them with pride, feeling our ancestors lifting us as we navigate new cultural codes in the land where they brought us for better opportunities, in the hopes we can make them proud and carry on their legacy. This is Empowered Adornment. For exclusive photos and more on these stories, follow my blog on my website at anishapalmer.com and on Instagram at anishapalmerlondon. This project was funded by Arts Council England. The podcast was co-produced and edited by Molly Crossley. And I'm Anisha Palmer. A huge thank you to my participants for sharing their incredible stories with me and trusting me to do them justice. It really means the world.